everyone, it's Aline. We'll get to the show in just a second, but I wanted to let you know that I made a mistake last week. When I initially went to post the episode with Tifa Robles, I accidentally reposted the episode with Quinn Dunkey. So if you want to listen to Tifa on episode 17, just go back, re-download episode 17, and you'll get the right file. I'm really sorry. I take full responsibility, but Tifa is totally worth it. Thanks, and now on to the show. Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality in geekdom. I'm your host, Aline Sims, and today I'm joined by Donna Pryor. Donna, welcome. Hi, thank you. How are you? I am well. (laughs) It's been a busy day on the internet, so, you know. Yeah. It always keeps you busy. Yeah. So, Donna, who are you? Um, I am a big nerd. Um, I go by Denicia, basically all over the internet. I am a community manager, social media manager. I work in video games and in tabletop games. And I am hugely involved in a lot of geek culture, geek meetups, and running my own geek convention. So, your geek community is inclusive geekery, right? Correct. And what is it about? community where people just come and learn how to play games um well it's we do a lot of things like we do we went on a tour of theo chocolate for people that are food nerds um we've got a monthly craft night which has started um board games is really kind of the big thing that people are interested in um with you know tabletop being out there with the stuff that will wheaton's doing and geek and sundry and things like that um you know and the the influence of board games and card games on packs and the comic cons and things like that um is really kind of bringing a lot of people it's like oh i've really really always wanted to do this and it looks like fun so that's mostly what we do is we do a lot of game related stuff but we also do just like hey we're all gonna go who wants to meet up at jet city comic show you know because maybe somebody doesn't have anybody to go with and so we do a variety of those kind of things Wow, that's really neat. Um, yeah. I outed myself last week as a not a huge tabletop gaming nerd, but as someone who really loves tabletop games. So what kind of games are popular? Yeah, it, it kind of depends. Like right now for, for my meetup, um, I, I, 
didn't actually make it to the last one this week, but the week before, funny enough, everything we played was a hidden role game. So, you know, with like the resistance where you had some people that are with the resistance and the others are spies. We had shadow hunters, which, you know, there's good guys, bad guys and neutral guys. And um, so we did a lot of that. Uh, we have a lot of discussion each week about what we're going to play. Um, the things that are popular right now are things, funny enough, that uh, um, Tabletop has said, hey, these are the games that we're going to have this season. And here's some really good stuff. Um, there's a lot of, you know, variety from party games um, to, and there's a lot of newer party games that are coming out. Um, there's historical games. Um, there's literature-based, like one of my favorites, Marrying Mr. Darcy. I, I take it everywhere, and people just love it. Um, the, uh, you know, there, there's another one that, I mean, we just find all these little cool games. I mean, one of the ones we play, you know, we play a lot of cooperative games like Hanabi, which is very easy and small. Um, it's actually not as easy as you might think, but, um, you know, up to Flashpoint, Pandemic, and, um, you know, we, we just do it all over. And so we keep the games during the, the newbie meetups to things that are extremely accessible. And, um, you know, people wouldn't think that Small World would be something that you could teach to new people, but you really, really can. Um, we don't tolerate people coming in and, and steamrolling through, you know, as to win. We, I mean, people want to win, and we like people winning. But, you know, how I play Ticket to Ride with my friends is different on how I play it with people who don't know how to play games. Right. You know, because we'll go after each other's rail lines. Oh, yeah. You know? so like, oh, no, are not building that one. I see where you're going. And, um, and we don't do that to, uh, in our newbie meetups. Yeah, well, and that would be extremely off-putting. Yeah. But yeah, I've been in, I've played some cutthroat games of Munchkin, which, you know. Yeah. Some people might not consider <laughs> a cutthroat game, but it gets intense. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Sometimes It's really funny to play the cooperative ones sometimes when you get, um, we had a really, one of my favorite games is Epic Spell Wars, the Battle Wizards, Duel at Mount Skullspire. And sometimes everybody gets really kind of complicated and bogged down by the spells. And but sometimes people will just kind of role play their little character wizard. And it just gets silly as can be. It's the same thing with King of Tokyo. When you're playing King of Tokyo or King of New York is, you know, kind of role playing a little bit, you know, making roar, I'm a monster. <laughs> yeah. Kind of so, you know, it can be a lot of fun. I yeah. like it. King of Tokyo is one um, I got a few months back and I played just two people. And I think it really needs, it's a game that I really need to get more people involved yeah. in to. Yeah, very much so. Because um, it was a little bit like, eh, I don't really know about this one, so. Yeah, same with the King of New York. Um, the King of New York is incredibly different. Um, it's, uh, I think it's really better uh, because there's so much more to keep track of. So I think it's better as, uh, much like Tesoro and Tesoro on the Seas, is that, you know, Tesoro, which is one of my favorite all-time games to teach people. I don't care what age you are. And Sir on the Seas has a lot more complicated, a lot more ways of the game actually kind of, as I like to say, screwing you over, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Oh, here's giant water kaiju. And, you know, oh, you know, here's a whirlpool that's going to, you know, suck your boat in and, as opposed to just, you know, the basically you against each other. Right. And Sir on the Seas, it's you against the board. The same with um, Castle Panic is another one yeah. I've been playing yeah. recently. So so what are your favorite games for newbies? You've mentioned Small Worlds, um, Tesoro, 
what else do you like? Like, what do you look for in a game to introduce new people to? Well, I like co-ops. Um, I, but, you know, I mean, it's really hard because if, if you play, you know, one of the downsides of playing Pandemic is that you can really get one person that kind of steers it. Um, so, you know, the games can be hit or miss on that. Um, but it's a great game. And, but I like the hidden role games sometimes, the, the easier ones like the Resistance. Um, Avalon, if you're playing it, you know, very easy to get into. Um, Tesoro, um, what else? I'm, I'm sitting here looking at uh, stacks of games right now. Um, you know, the, the uh, Chupacabra, you know, those dice games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dungeon Roll, which is a really, really great one. Um, one of the ones I like, uh, you know, like Ticket to Ride's great. Um, one of the ones I really like is um, uh, Machikuro, which is a new game that just launched. And it's really pretty, and it's very easy to pick up and play. What's it about? Um, it's kind of, You're building a city. So you're trying to build these different parts of your city, and the first one to do that wins. So, you know, you have farms, and, you know, you get money generated off what you're doing, stuff like that. Yeah, I've only I've owned it, and um, it's really funny because I've, I'm kind of fussing with it right now. I've owned it for a while, but um, I never played it. And, like, when it came out, three people in the meetup, we all showed up with it. And so, we, you know, we had to put our names on it so we knew whose copy was whose. And we played it over and over because everybody was so delighted with it. Um, it's the same thing with Concept. Concept is a great game. Um, it's, it's like charades, but with concepts. You don't act everything out. You try to come up with concepts for people to guess whatever, you know, the, uh, the thing is. So you get the cards where it'll say, you know, like a phrase, cold as ice, or it could be a movie, Star Wars. And so you have all these things on the board. They're all pictures. And the pictures will have, you know, part of the board has colors. So it'll have like white, yellow, black, gray, red. And so you put these little counters of how they relate to the different concepts. Uh, so you can say, okay, well, here it's a man. It's three words, you know. So there's all these different things, and it's all on a board versus acting it out. Because people get really uncomfortable about that sometimes. Yeah. So when you're playing on a concept, and it's team, it's team-based. So the teams rotate. So if we had six of us at a table, and let's say you and I were next to each other, so you and I would be the first team. And then the second team, you and the person over to your left would be the next person. You'd make the team. So that way you don't have one team that's really kind of steamrolling because everybody is going to see the concepts differently. And the more that you can get, it's a good breaking the ice because people have concepts in their head of how they're trying to communicate. So when you can understand how people communicate, you know, visually and by concepts, um, it just kind of, it's just really kind of cool, you know, seeing the way people think. That's an interesting way to, to structure teams too. Like, because I think about the games that I've played and, you know, the, the partners, like spouses partner together or, or whatever, and they know how they communicate, you know, they communicate well and they don't have to think about it as much as, you know, maybe me and the new person in the group or whatever. So that's cool. Yeah, it's my husband and I uh, play games incredibly differently. So we're actually not a really good pair because <laughs> we're trying to explain it. And I'm like, no, this they'll get this. And he's like, no, they'll get it this way. And I was like, no. So we end up trying to do that. And, you know, and it's just figuring out which which way which way of thinking actually fits with who you're playing with. So sometimes he 
right on target, and sometimes I'm on target. You know, I'm a lot more expressive, and um, and he's a lot more of a uh, strategist. You know, to me, I can't think more than one, you know, turn ahead. Yes, that's why I hate chess. <laughs> so, you know, I don't win a lot of games, but <laughs> I really have fun playing them. Um, another one that I, I've gotten to play, I'm sitting here looking at it, um, I'm a big fan of... Uh, of Lisa Bowman Steeson, who does, um, she's got a company called Gut Busting Games. And uh, I love her game, Oh No, You Don't, which is great for kids or people who like sparkly things and you want to have gnomes that duel each other. Oh. Um, garden gnomes. Right up my alley. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I picked up her latest game, which is called uh, Cheap Shot. And it's a game of insult remy. Oh. And so the insults, um, where it's more accessible than, let's say, Cards Against Humanity, which can be incredibly problematic, um, this one is much easier to play in public um, around people of all ages and backgrounds. So, um, you know, a insult might be up your nose with a rubber hose, you know, or, or things like that. As you come up with, so you kind of build rummy hands based on the insults and um and feedback. So somebody could block your insult, you know, with you know something like you know your your mom eats dirt, you know. So it's it's very very silly. It's you know very very silly. Kind of you know she goes with a lot of funny themes with with her her games like um, you know Redneck Life and Trailer Park Wars. Yeah, I haven't heard of any of them, but it sounds. I've been brainstorming, so I've got a work conference in January that I'm going to go to and. Someone's like, oh, I'm going to bring Cards Against Humanity. And I'm like, okay, great. Because I, I work remotely. So this is my first time meeting a lot of my coworkers face-to-face. Well, any of them really face-to-face. And I'm like, I don't know if I can say some of those Cards Against Humanity things in front of people I've just met. So Yeah, I mean, it's the, the great thing about that party game style is that it's an icebreaker. So, you know, the, the thing about Cards Against Humanity, um, and a lot of people don't really want to, there's, there's a lot of problematic things about it and uh, a variety of different things that I don't really want to go into. But, um, you know, if people are playing it in a bar, you know, I don't, I don't have a problem with people. I don't want to go play them with it, you know. Um, it's, it's, you know, when we play it at my house, we sit and talk about the problematic things. So, you know, it's, it's really cool. Yay, feminists. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, it's, it's not something, there's, you know, it's got a great thing. You know, apples to apples is, you know, all, you know, pretty much all ages. The only difficult part about all, you know, all ages is apples to apples is that, you know, there's context like Hiroshima and, you know, different things like that that somebody, a, a child, which is why they have a junior version, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that kind of fits in. Um, but I'm not a fan of bringing Cards Against Humanity as an icebreaker game to a professional um, place, to a professional conference and, and playing it. Well, it's really something for people you know and you're, you're comfortable with, in, in uh, my opinion, you know, yeah. being the, the introverted type of person I am. So, and it's, I mean, I've played a lot of Cards Against Humanity, but it's been with a group of people who I've known for years, so... I mean, even and even then, sometimes a card comes up and and someone will say, "Nope, I'm 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 not nope." <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we've I, I ran a card a few years ago. Um, I think the original set was out, maybe one expansion, and I ran a tournament at a convention in L.A. 
Um, but it was late night, you know, and nobody else was around kind of thing. And we had like 25 people, you know, enter, um, enter the contest. But, you know, I would break, I, it's, it's sad because I would try to get you a copy of this, but we have a game with Green Ronin, uh, who I do work with, and we have a game called Love to Hate. And so it's more of a nudge, nudge, wink, wink version um, with a little bit of a different twist on how the cards and how the judging works and things like that. Um, there's games, you know, there's other games that can do that kind of stuff, but also the context and understanding uh, media and, and stuff, which is the, there's a Princess Bride. Essentially, it's like a Princess Bride version of apples to apples kind of thing where you have a judge and um, you kind of, one card is, hello, my name is, you know, hello, my name is blah, and it might say like Ethel Merman. <laughs> and you know, and then the follow-up card is you fill in the blank, prepare to die. So it kind of goes on that whole trope. So you know, some of the cards will have like Rob Reiner. Um, they'll have inside jokes to Princess Bride, but a lot of stuff is not related to Princess Bride at all. And uh, so that I think that kind of threw us off when we were all trying to play it. But it's 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 a fun idea, and it still kind of goes of that uh, social game. Funny enough, what I was making my meetup do is I have um, a copy of the 1965 Mystery Date game. Oh. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. We have so much fun playing that game. <laughs> you know, you might think it's, you know, it's funny, but we sit down and play it, you know, and um, it, can, it can, can get pretty wild as we all kind of diss each other about our clothing choices and, and whatnot and the dates that we're going to end up with. 1965. I can't even imagine right now. Yeah, they did a reprint of the original Mystery Date from wow. 1965. You can buy it in the store. You know, this isn't the original, you know, Mystery Date. I'm still older than the original Mystery Date. <laughs> but, but it's, yeah, so they, they put it out, and uh, you can buy it on the shelf right now or, you know, on Amazon. Although, I have to say, you should shop at your local friendly game store <laughs> or local business if you have one. Mine went out of business. That's really so, sad. Yeah, I've gotta um I've gotta see if I can find another one because I walked I was like, Oh, let's go in and look around and they are now a love sack. So I was like right, well beanbags are fun, but so um so another big thing that you're working on is OrcaCon. Yes. So will you talk about that? Since sure. it all ties in together. It does well, it does actually tie in together. So um, my husband and all the nerds that he grew up with, they grew up in uh, Snohomish County, Washington, which is the county just north of Seattle. And um, they all played games. They played miniature games. They played card games and board games and D&D and, you know, just mutants and masterminds, whatever they played as much as they could. And they all spent so much time going to different conventions. And in Seattle, while we have a lot of geek conventions, we don't actually have a lot of very specific game conventions. We have a lot of fandom conventions. So um, one of the ones where they used to get together was a convention called DreamCon. And it went out of business for a variety of reasons, years and years and years ago. And um, so there's been a lack of geek events in Snohomish County. And so we were all sitting around. One of the people on our advisory board is a state senator who went to high school with my husband. They've all known each other a million years because they're old. 
and we were sitting around uh, Dragonflight, which is a local Seattle game convention in August, and we were talking about how um, we, you know, really wish we had one up in Snohomish County, and we were playing, what were we playing? We were playing Seven Wonders, and I just kind of looked to Hobbs and said, well, let's just make one, you and I, let's just do this. I'll, I'll run it. Oh, wow. And so it was born from right there. And so we started gathering friends, and um, uh, I've been lucky enough to recruit a whole bunch of people who I know from the uh, the Game Developer Conference, uh, the Conference Associates Program, which is the official volunteers, which is something I also do, and from a lot of people that do um, that are like uh, enforcers from PACs. And people that do volunteering at Gen Con and Dragon Con and, you know, these really, really big events and also small events. And that's what they do is they love to give back to the community. And when I wanted to make this convention, and I, I do, I like Dragonflight. And so I, some people think that I'm hating on Dragonflight, and I'm not. But the difficult part is, and I know that many of the people involved also recognize this, and they are trying to work on their diversity, but I don't think that they know how. And they need people to be involved on their board and whatnot to kind of do outreach. But when you go in there, it's, you know, 98% white males between the age of, let's say, 28 and 60. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they do the best they can. They, I guess they pull in about 500 people. Um, they run a ton of events. Um, they bring in lots of game store vendors, and they've started expanding out to a few other types of, of uh, vendors that you can, so you can shop. They run tournaments. Um, you know, they do. It's, you know, it's based on a, a gaming club, a local gaming club, and their convention's been around 30-something-odd years. It's been around forever. And I think that's part of the problem, too, is that, you know, a lot of these people have been going to the same convention, and I wouldn't call any of these folks, you know, they're, I've never been harassed. I've never been excluded or anything like that. I've never had that experience, but I don't see people like me there. Right. And when I wanted to create OrcaCon, my big thing is, is I wanted to be inclusive and I wanted it to be diverse. I also, the, the first thing I put on my website was an anti-harassment policy, is that I wanted that out there because there's a lot more people in the industries of games, comics, books, you know, everything who will not attend conventions unless there is stuff. Yep. And we want to do a lot of education and work with, you know, and go out and see people, not wait for people to come to us. You know, and partner with local business and local geek activities and offer space, you know, in our like fan table area where we're supporting the lady planeswalkers. I was going to say, you've got a Notifa, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we want to be able to support the lady planeswalkers. We want to support, you know, the uh, Gay Geek Seattle. You know, anybody, any diverse groups that want to come out. We're working with people in, um, with Goticon up in Van, uh, in Victoria, which is also in Canada, is working on um, their diversity for their con. And um, so, you know, I've been doing a lot of outreach to a lot of folks who really, really want to be involved. And I want to, I want to make sure that everybody feels comfortable. Yeah, I've been um, thinking about how I could contribute from Phoenix. I'm not sure, but I'm still, I'm still trying to, to figure something out because I think it's, I think it's such an amazing concept. You know, we've got 
um, GSX, which is formerly GamerX, um, in the San Francisco area, which is all about um, inclusivity. Um, I mean, they've kind of pivoted away from just being kind of about LGBTQ rights and kind of into just like, let's make an inclusive conference. And I think that we need more of those because, you know, I... I go to, I've been to San Diego Comic Con, I've been to Phoenix Comic Con, and they are generally very diverse, um, you know, obviously different kind of scope, but it's still like a lot of panels with a lot of men and, and that kind of thing. So I really think we need to get more panels or not more panels. I think we need to get more conventions like this. So that one, we can set an example for these bigger conventions and say, hey, what's your problem? Like, look at what we can do. You can do this, too. Yeah. And secondly, I just I, I just it it makes my heart sing because I. We need more of this in the world. Yeah, I mean, we've got, you know, Geek Girl Con's been around four years now, uh, I believe. And so, you know, it's but it's still very overly white. Um, but it was great. Oh my gosh. It was great to see so many girls, like kids out in costume and they could tell you everything they loved about Captain America and, you know, whatever, whatever they loved that they could just tell you all kinds of stuff and their parents were there with them and, you know, they're just excited and everybody is all there for the same purpose. Um, and I know that they are working really, really hard on, uh, you know, build a, trying to make a more diverse in staff, in volunteers, in content, you know, so they're, they're doing a lot of work to do outreach for that. Um, so that's always really great to see. Um, you've got, locally we have NorwestCon, which, you know, we could do a whole show about NorwestCon, but there's a lot of people there that want more diversity, that want it to be a safe space. Um, they've worked very, very hard to come up with an acceptable uh, uh, anti-harassment policy. My first, my first experience at NorwestCon in 2007 is I was sexually harassed oh. in the lobby. Oh. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of people who don't see the problems. Yeah. You know, because we all live in a bubble sometimes. And so, um, you know, part of making those changes is, is I believe it was Jen Frank who wrote a great article. And so we're always calling, women in the work in the games industry, we're always calling for more diversity on professional conferences. And, like, I think it was DICE had zero women. Yep. And, um, and it's like, and so, you know, it's like, well, women aren't applying. Well, you know, well, how are you getting the men? You know, it's like, well, you're asking them, you know, you're asking people if you know somebody, but what you need to do is that there's a concept of a personal Rolodex is that when you go to school and you start making contacts, when you go to college, it's a big networking thing. You make contacts is that your social groups and your school groups tend to be people like you. Mm -hmm. And then when you go work in business, if you're on teams that are predominantly male and predominantly white male and straight male is that that's who you get to know in a professional capacity. So you go from company to company, always working where there's almost always white cis dudes. Um, and they're not bad white cis dudes. I mean, you know, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus here, but that's who you build in your network. So when somebody comes to you and says, hey, we need some speakers, you know anybody who knows anything about XYZ programming? Well, what you do is you go back to your Rolodex of all the people you know who would be great speakers. 
But so if you have never had your experience of working with women or working with people of color or LGBTQA people who would, you know, bring diversity, you know, and have good things to say, um, you know, then that's all you're going to have is, you know, it's, it's going to be Great. the same list of all the, the same guys who, you know, are very smart guys who are very capable and all that. But we need to we need to make an effort to go beyond our own personal Rolodex when we're looking for people to build content, to um, bring content to a conference, to um, have a convention, to have marginalized groups, um, you know, represented in all the things that you do. And so that's really kind of my goal out there is with, um, with OrcaCon is to kind of do that on a small scale of, you know, and it's harder because, you know, we're, you know, to be honest, up in Seattle, we're not known for our um, diversity right. <laughs> up here, you know, in regards to uh, racial diversity, and which is a damn shame. Yep. It really is. And um, and I think that we should be more supportive of each other. So, uh, you know, I, I want to spend a lot of time going out to different places and um, and talking to people that are doing, um, there's like a Latina tech group. You know, I want to go talk to them and just say, hey, we're doing this convention and I'd, you know, love for you to participate. Um, you know, I'd like to have, you know, like Latina women talking about the challenges of getting into tech and programming you know, from a social point of view and, you know, all kinds of stuff. These are my goals eventually. I'm not going to be able to pull everything off in my first year con, you know, with my limited space and all. But, um, you know, I hope to expand it out so we can really kind of expand the role of women in tech and minorities in tech and things like that and in game design and and whatnot. Yeah, the the concept of the personal Rolodex, I think, is really important to to notice. And, you know, I've I notice it with my podcast, especially because like I'm all my goal is to talk to these people who are marginalized in their in their fields or areas of interest. But, you know, I look back at my episodes and it's been primarily white women who I have talked to. And part of that's just been the networking aspect of it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I started talking to this person and she said, I can put you in contact with this person who put me in contact with this person. And it's all been, you know, women. And so that's one of my goals for the podcast in 2015 is I'm, you know, building an audience and getting this kind of off the ground is to have more men on and more people of color. And, you know, um, I'd love to have some guests talk about um, the experience of being transgender and I want to delve into mental health and, and that kind of thing. But um, that's going to require a lot of um, feeling, putting feelers out on my part, because yeah. that that's just that's not the network I've built so far. And I've really got to make an effort to do that. And it's work. And, you know, it's work to do that. But I think it's really important. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly important. Um, uh, you know, the, the more we grow as, um, you know, it, it all comes from within. It really does. And, you know, one of the big things me to no end when I talk about whitewashing in media um, because it's incredibly important you know it, it's kind of that whole thing that women can say a whole bunch of stuff about this is bad this is bad this is bad and what they want to change and, it's, and people just you know like basically pile on and crap on you for it mm -hmm. but if a man says it all of a sudden people listen yep and so you know that happens so much and it also happens with race and it's incredibly important for those of us who are white to um, talk about race with other white people and to, you know, recognize the privilege we do have and listen 
you know, to what uh, minorities, people of color have to say. It's incredibly important. And um, so, you know, I get so upset as soon as I talk about, you know, something where, you know, all of a sudden there's white actors playing, you know, Asian roles. Mm-hmm. You know, people, you know, they all just like, you know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, it's just a movie and, or it's just a this, it's just a this. But damn, did some of these people like get pissed with Nick Fury, you know, and, you know, turning in with Samuel L. Jackson. And right. people, people got really, really pissed as soon as the white person wasn't a white person. Yep. You know, or what somebody might assume was white. Like, you know, with the Hunger Games, I never assumed Rue is, you know, I, I was reading a lot of this stuff, but I was like, oh, well, you know, Hunger Games, you know, young adult, I'm, I'm really old. So I, I don't read. I actually do read a lot more young adult than I used to, thanks to uh, Chuck Wendig. But um, oh, I love young adult. Oh yeah, yeah. And, uh, but it was ne- it was never a genre I had as a kid. You know, I was reading Arthur C. Clarke and Isaac Asimov, and you know all that, and uh, along with you know um, Anne McCaffrey and stuff like that when I was a kid and when I was young. And um, you just jumped in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like you know what? That's just what we had. Yeah. You know, my mom's a hardcore sci-fi um, person, and so you know our shelves were just full of uh, Jack Chalker and um, you know all kinds of stuff. That now I go back and look at it with a, a feminist you know view, and I'm just like, wow, oh god, some of this stuff is really terrible. It is, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is really terrible. Um, you know, and we won't even get into the problem problematic stuff of Piers Anthony. Oh my god, <laughs> but. Um, but, you know, back, because I'll ramble, but back on <laughs> to the know, Hunger Games. Is, yeah, is that, you know, all these people were upset because, you know, the movie showed Rue is black. But if you read the part of the book, you know, there's a physical description of there that doesn't say, doesn't say anything about her being white. You know, it talks about, you know, uh, um, oh, God, I can't even remember at this point because I'm old and forgetful. But, you know, people just, they, they flip their lid. But yet, you know, it's the same people who say, you know, it's not important that you've taken, you know, that Prince of Persia. Why don't you have a Persian actor? Actor. Or why is Johnny Depp Tonto in The Lone Ranger? And yeah. Well, and it's interesting that you bring The Hunger Games up because in my mind, as I was reading the books, I pictured Finnick as a black man. Mm-hmm. And I saw the movie and I was like, no, this is this is not right. Why is he why is he white? I mean, he's golden tan, but why is he white? And I need to go back through and reread it to to figure out why I got it in my head that it was that he was a person of color. But I think he would have been excellent. He was just, a, I, I don't know. I'm still offended that he's not. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's when you're more aware of and, and listening to, you know, folks who are different from you, you realize, first of all, how much the same we all are, really. Um, you know, and so much of it is silly, but what is wrong with wanting to see people who look like you in games, in video games, in stories, in movies, in music? You know, I, I don't know why that's so wrong and why people just get freaking bent out of shape when, yeah, I don't either. you know, it's it's not the, you know, white people point of view. Yeah, and that's I, that's diversity, and I think this is part of why, you know, maybe I'm projecting, but part of why you want OrcaCon to be so diverse is that it's going to be a better experience for everybody that way. I believe so. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, how can it not be better if you don't have, that's what makes life interesting is different points of view and different ways of looking at things. If you, 
if you live your life, I mean, there's a reason stuck in a rut is a phrase that doesn't have a good connotation, right? You're, you're stuck in your paradigm or you're stuck in your daily routine. People need diversity. People need different perspectives and different experiences, even if it's by association. I'm, I'm just looking at, like, right here on my desk. I'm so excited because I'm playing Dungeons & Dragons again. And I haven't played Dungeons & Dragons since 2nd uh, edition and early on in 2nd edition. And I've had a very, very difficult time finding groups. Uh, I'm not a, funny enough, I'm not a creative, which is why I surround myself with creative people. I'm incredibly envious. Um, I'm an organizer. That's, that's what I do. So there's a lot of people I know who don't who don't go out there and organize things, you know, and, and I'm all about structure and organization and, and all that. But I, I, you know, I was looking through this player's, player's handbook, and there's a great picture of, like, female, non-white warrior, you know, the, it, fighter. And I, I just about cried. I was like, this is so pretty, you know, and like, you know, Paisa has been doing a lot of that too with their art is they're showing, you know, they've got, um, you know, transgender characters. They've got, um, you know, they've got people of color. They've got mixed races. They've got, you know, it's, and I don't, I don't, I'm not talking about a half elf or a half orc, right. <laughs> you know, and because it's just not important. Right. You know, and, um, you know, even in the, you know, with the D&D, &D, the whole thing about um, what's-his-face de deity, you know, being, you know, basically presenting as male or female and how everybody lost their crap over that, um, you know, I, I'm just really happy. You know, I love the stuff that we're doing at Green Ronin. Um, you know, it's just, you know, it's so great to have strong, powerful character, with you know, women characters and people of color and being all in it together. Yeah. So can you talk about Green Ronin a little bit more? Like, sure. What, what do you do? How, how, how do you fit in there? And, and what, are, what are the goals of? Well, I make myself a nuisance, really. <laughs> and um, I work with, so it's, it's really, really difficult. And I've had a lot of challenges with it because for some reason, everyone thinks tabletop games makes a lot of money. And I don't know why that. I think because, you know, magic is so huge and magic is Wizards of the Coast. And so Wizards of the Coast must have all the money in the world and they don't. And, you know, Hasbro has all the money in the world. But um, and that, you know, d d it's the number one. So it's got to be huge. I mean, it is big. It's big, but it's not, you know, people who make tabletop games don't make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, you know, live simply and because they have a love and a need to, to make games. Um, it's, it's a part of who they are and they just, they have to make games and, um, tabletop is a lot of freelancing work. So uh, that's another thing a lot of people don't understand is that even with, you know, from a game company that has, you know, maybe has, you know, two full-time employees or one full-time employee and they work with freelancers and all kinds of levels of freelancers. So there's a lot more people working in tabletop than you might think, but, you know, they might be getting paid to write by the word or, you know, by the adventure or by a character or, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that goes into it. Um, but, which is completely off topic to your question, but what I do is I work with the um, volunteers. So 
So these are the people who are so committed to the games that we do, which is, you know, Mutants and Masterminds. We also license with DC to do DC Adventures. Uh, we've got a license with BioWare to do Dragon Age. Um, we've got a license with George R. R. Martin to do Song of Ice and Fire. And we've got a ton of stuff for them. We also, we publish, you know, because Green Ronin is a publisher. So we do our own, we also design our own stuff. And we, you know, design games for IPs and, you know, stuff like that. We, we're doing, we have, we have a, a little card game, which is adorable, called Walk the Plank. It's been around for ages. You can buy it at a game store. Buy it. Hey, you can buy it at our store. <laughs> Online. And and then we're doing Love to Hate, which we just did a Kickstarter for. And um, that'll be out, um, you know, soon, TM. And, uh, but, you know, we just finished off. I mean, if you go into a game store, you can see the Advanced Beast area that we did for Paizo, for Pathfinder. Um, it's gorgeous. It's absolutely stunning. And so, we, you know, we do a lot of work. We work with a lot of people, and we've got a lot of amazing designers um, who do work for Green Ronin. And I have such a very small part of that, which is trying to support our volunteers who go to conventions and game stores to do demos of our games. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a bunch of love. Um, it's really hard because... Uh, we're a very tiny company, mm-hmm. and so um, you know I don't have the resources that a lo- that some of the larger groups do to be able to do. Um, you know, I mean it's 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 really really great. I, w- I really wish I could find a lot more local volunteers to to run Mutants and Masterminds and Dragon Age and, and stuff like that locally, because I think that if I got a good local group going, because we have so many places here to run games, is that that would really help what I'm doing away. Right now, I've got, you know, a few people on the East Coast. I've got a couple guys in Texas. I got some in California. I got one guy in Australia. Oh, wow. He does, a lot. He, he does PAX. He, he, de- he demos uh, Dragon Age tabletop at PAX. And um, so, you know, sometimes I write about the importance of community and, uh, you know, what conventions we might be at. We're looking at doing a huge blowout for and trying to bring as many volunteers to work with them to get them here to run games for us at Gen Con next year in 2015 and submit panels. And um, uh, Steve Kenson runs uh, the... um, Queer's a three dollar. Uh, Queer's a three sided die panel, um, which is all queer um, game designers. Mm-hmm. And um, so we're actually a part of the. Um, I just joined because I didn't know it existed, but there's a Gen Con gamers group, and G A Y M E R S, and um, so they have a Facebook group, and I got on there, and so I got to meet a couple of people, and. Um, it's actually starting to come together as like a big thing of things that we can do as a community to submit panels, make sure we have panelists and, you know, topics and that we're going to run LGBTQA um, themed games uh, or, you know, with, with, with characters and be very, very welcoming and with our experiences and stuff like that to, um, you know, bring the diversity into a place that's traditionally not very diverse. That's awesome. And so we have the support uh, of, you know, our company. You know, Green Ronin is very, very much into, you know, um, a diversity. We've got a lot of outspoken people involved <laughs> with Green Ronin, really. You know, from, you know, CEO Chris Premus, you know, 
on down to little old me. And um, so, you know, that's what I do. I, I, I do a lot of, I do a fair amount of demos myself of Dragon Age because I think it's, it's when, when Primus designed it, when he did the design for it, is that, you know, the challenge is taking, if you've played Dragon Age, the video game, is the way I, there's a stunt system. So when you're rolling your die, you have a different way of getting, like, bonuses for what you've just done, especially in, especially fun to role play out. And the great thing about this box set is it tells you what is a role playing game, what the dice do, what your stats are. I mean, it's very, very basic 101. And also included in the box is a Dungeon Master Guide. And that my my favorite part is any kind of dungeon master guide that tells you about different types of play styles, different types of personalities, how to handle people. Like you know, sometimes you get that guy that just is a rules lawyer, you know, which isn't bad necessarily. But if he's ruining everybody's fun, then yes. Um, sometimes you'll have, um, you know, there's nothing worse than when you have somebody who shows up as a significant other as a player and is given a character and. Nobody ever checks to see what kind of person that is, what kind of game they're looking for, because they're just doing it to be with their significant other. Mm -hmm. And so because they're not an experienced, everybody kind of talks over them and doesn't really work with them to find out that maybe that they're not into hack and slash, but role playing and developing stories is really them. And how do you incorporate that into your game where you can balance? So I got this guy who's Monty Hall. He hack and slash. <laughs> He's a Monty Hall. He wants to go in there and get all the loot. And, you know, with the person who wants to be very story-driven, who wants to write these extreme backstories and, and, you know, do all this stuff, how do you integrate those players together? So that's one of the things in that box set one, which is, is I love so much. And you're also taking a bunch of people who have never played tabletop before and making it accessible. Mm-hmm. Because I'm a firm believer, people always, people say, they're not saying it as much, but they were saying for a long time that tabletop was dying. And my view was, and I've said this before at panels, I've said this everywhere, is that it's it's been stagnating. Mm-hmm. Is that we make it so difficult for people to get into our hobby. And so what's really great is a lot of designers and companies are changing that. Um, you know, there's uh, story games are becoming more prominent. Um, you've got uh, Fate which is really easy to get into. You've got a lot of systems that are really easy to just like sit down with a box set, sit down with a book and start playing. Um, I read uh, Steve Kenson's um, Icons. He republished Icons and um, I read it on the plane home from Gen Con. And I want to convert it and run a, a Sailor Moon version because it's a superhero system. And it's very, very easy to sit down and get into and start role-playing your character and doing fun things with your characters. So I would have read Sailor Moon, because why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just have a great con game of Sailor Moon. And you could get all ages. And you could get women, you you know, men. Everybody loves Sailor Moon. Right. And if they don't, then I will punch them. <laughs> In the name of the moon, I will punch you. <laughs> So, you know, then I go, and then, and then everybody says, well, what are you going to have? You know, it's like, oh, well, here's the Sailor Scouts. Well, what about Tuxedo Mask? I was like, well, he'll be an NPC. You know, and then they're like, well, what about the Outer Scouts? I was like, stop making this complicated. <laughs> I'm just trying to make a, a nice five-player fun con game, you know? Well, and I think, you know, even for those of us who know we like tabletop games, you know, like Arkham Horror is so hard to learn. I mean, you could sit down, especially when you've got multiple people, you know, more than two players, 
you can sit down for an entire, because I've done this, sat down for an entire day with a group of people trying to learn how to play Arkham Horror. And yeah, it was fun, but sometimes you just want to play a game. Yeah, it was a funny, I was working, uh, I was working for Flying Lab, we were doing Pirates of the Burning Sea, and uh, the, Rusty, the CEO, you know, they, I guess they had a, like an executive meeting or whatever, and decided that we were going to have a fun day. So uh, they made, uh, I was working remotely because we, we, we were on Queen Anne, had no, I know this doesn't make any sense if you don't live here, but uh, it was just, we just outgrew our, our area. So there was a number of us that would work from home. And so, you know, Troy, my boss at the time, was like, you have to come to the office. I'm like, why? You just have to come to the office. I'm like, oh, no, what's oh, wrong? No. <laughs> you know, and, but I got here, and it turns out that they were having a fun day. So they, um, you know, we had beers, we had lunches, and we played games. And so a bunch of us decided that we were going to teach ourselves how to play Arkham Horror. Oh. And we ended up, you know, with the amount of time it took to just get to the point of having, like, we didn't even finish a full round of turns before we were all intoxicated. <laughs> yep. You know, I was yep. like, let's do something else. Let's, yep. let's, let's, let's play, you know, something on the, you know, Xbox or whatever. So, um, I realized that we didn't OrcaCon, we didn't talk a lot about OrcaCon, and I wanted to say that you're, it's a year away, right? It's in 2016. Yep. So, um, I was wondering. <laughs> It sounds like you're a planner. You've said that you're a planner and organizer. Yeah. So, and I'm I'm more on the creative side. So I'm thinking about what you're doing to plan all of this. And it seems very, very overwhelming to me. Um, but I like that you're, you're, you're starting by like building the community and giving yourself the space to build the community. Yeah. I think that that's such an awesome way to approach it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's nice because, you know, I'm, I'm redoing the website right now, so it looks a little sparse. I've just, I've got hotel information up there, even though uh, my hotels, my hotel registration will go live in January, so one year out. Um, we're we're going to launch a Kickstarter in January. Um, so a lot of what I'm doing is outreach to stores, to game groups, and things like that to let people know that we've got, I've got business cards, you know, that I, I pass out. I'm working on some flyers, and uh, I love our logo. You know, it's really awesome. Oh, it's so and cute. If, if you go to orcacon.org, and I've got a Facebook page, I've got a Twitter account, I've got, I set up a Facebook, a public group also. Um, that people can sign up for. So that way we can have conversations, you know, about games and, you know, whatnot outside of the articles and whatnot that we'll publish on Facebook. So um, that way people can get to know each other. So hopefully by the time it rolls around is that, um, you know, people will be comfortable, they'll find games, they'll be ready to play games. Uh, they can talk to us, we can walk them through the process. Um, you know, I'm excited. We've, we've got it mapped out of how many dealers we're going to have and, um, you know, just all, just all kinds of stuff. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to get some good sponsorships. So how big is, how big are you planning on it being? Like, what is your membership going to be capped at? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, based on fire code, I think we're going to be capped out to, um, maybe 800. Oh, that's bigger than I thought it would be. Yeah, yeah, that's what we can do. We're hoping, you know, if we can pull three to four hundred, we'll be happy. Um, then we should, if we can pull that many, actually, we'll I'll take take it back. If we pull that many and people stay the night, 
then um, we actually won't be too far behind. Oh, you know, okay. We'll, we'll come out ahead. The, pro- what we'll, the problem with it we'll run into is if we don't get enough people. So here's something that people don't know when you're booking a convention. So the, the reason why a lot of them are hotels is because you don't have to pay right up front for the space that you're renting. When you are doing a convention space, uh, let's, you know, a convention center or, a, you know, wherever, is that it's, you know, here it is, it's $40,000 to rent this space for one day, two days, three days, you know, $50,000 spent on your space mm. and what you get. With a hotel is that you can work around those prices. And there's different things also that you can work with. with. It's harder to do a small convention in a convention center right. that you want to grow. So the great thing about hotels is that everything is right there. Um, and that you can, so what you do is you guarantee that you're going to sell X amount of rooms. So you say, I can sell this many rooms. They go, okay, well, we'll give you a room rate of X. So uh, my hope is, is that I can sell a certain amount of room nights. So I imagine, of course, Friday and Saturday will be my big ones. Right. Um, and if I can sell that, then I get no fee. So if I don't sell those rooms, then, then I actually get a penalty. And that's where a lot of oh. conventions fail is because they, um, they don't meet their room goal and they don't meet their food goal because those are two different things. The food goal is mostly related to the space rental. So I am taking every single available space in that hotel for this convention. So I'm getting it at X price and I have to sell Y amount of food for me to cost nothing. And it's prorated. So if I sell $10,000 worth of food versus selling $7,000 versus selling $20,000. So whatever I don't do, I have to, that's how much I'm going to have to pay for the hotel. That's really interesting. Yeah. So um, so it's much easier to start an event at a hotel because that you can do this. And if you do smart marketing, if you do community building uh, and a lot of outreach, um, it's much easier to make your numbers. But it's really, really hard to make those numbers. Um, our plan is that we kickstart the amount of money that we're going to need um, to rent the space if we sold zero food. So if we didn't sell any food, it's going to cost us X amount of money. And that way, if we just have that paid off, then we can get extra perks or because we're going to have to have rentals of, um, you know, like if there's coffee service or if there's, you know, extra water service or different things that we want, everything that we have to do in um, having room turnovers. So if we're converting a room from a speaker room to a game room, um, extra tables, extra chairs, hanging banners, um, using the PA system, setting up your own. I mean, all these are costs that we're going to have to pay for this convention. So if I can get, if the Kickstarter can cover my rental, then all the memberships that people in buying memberships will go towards uh, paying for all the rest of the stuff that we're going to have to, all the other vendors we're going to deal with. And, um, and then we're arranging a really great food program. And so hopefully that will make a good amount of money. Um, but it's really hard to sell. Um, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars worth of food at a hotel. Well, yeah, I've, I was actually trying to think about meeting a food goal at a lot of the hotels that. Yeah, because the restaurants, the restaurants don't count. Right, and and what do they have? They have very little. <laughs> right, so they have banquets. 
They have sandwich bars. They have coffee kiosks. Um, you know, anything like that, where they're always trying to get you to buy from, and it's usually a selection of, like, stuff that's easy, like burgers, hot dogs, you know, so, you Sandwiches. Know, sandwiches, chips, fruit, candy, you know, stuff like that. So, um, I'm, it's a surprise what I'm doing with the food, you know, because I'm still working with food and beverage on this. If we can pull it off, it's going to be really, really great. Um, but like with my hotel rooms, I actually got two different rates. I have a rate for the hotel, the room itself, and then I also have a rate for uh, well, uh, an included breakfast. Oh. And, and I'm not, but actual breakfast buffet versus um, you know continental where it's nothing but muffins and some juice and coffee. Mm-hmm. So it's actually quite quite a good thing. I'm very I'm very proud. Um, and the the high the the uh, Holiday Inn there in Everett was quite happy to talk to us. They are extremely. There's a bunch of nerds that work there apparently, oh. as we've all found out. So they're good. Very excited. Um, they they want they have been so wonderful in working with us. The Snohomish County Tourism Board has been wonderful. They really want our event too. Um, you know, and supporting local business. I mean, that's really what it's all about. And we're going to have our own beer that's going to be for sale at the bar at the hotel. Wow. That we're having to make locally. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. All right. Well, Seattle less than or equal people start <laughs> start selling it. Seattle and Portland. Yeah. I'm even going to. Well, the great thing, one of the things that was nice is if you're staying at the hotel itself, and let's say if you're flying in, is that you can actually take a shuttle to Everett for, was it? $49, $29 each way. Oh, that's not bad. It's not because a cab to Seattle from the airport is going to cost you that same amount of money. And Everett is a 30-minute to an hour drive north of Seattle. So, that's, uh, that's not bad at all. Uh, and so we've, there's a, there's a uh, shuttle, a pre-shuttle from the hotel that will take you around to like the AFK Gaming Tavern um, to Boeing if you wanted to do a nerd tour of Boeing. And so, yeah, we're, we're planning on doing, like, a big nerd out is what we're doing. <laughs> it sounds amazing. I'm uh, I'm really going to try it in January, you know, next. 2016 is a big question mark here, but um, I'd, I'd really like to be able to come just because it sounds like so much fun. Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky. I'm very lucky, you know, working in the games industry is because I have a lot of people to call on to do panels, to run games, um, to be involved which is hopefully going to bring more people to the convention. And, that, you know, that, that's the whole thing is giving a place for people. Uh, you know, when I meet the creators of, you know, things I love, I mean, I love it. And getting a chance to play a game with somebody that I respect and I love their work, I mean, that's, that's, that's just amazing. And a lot of the folks locally, a lot of local game designers and artists love playing games with the people who buy their games. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm really hoping that that is going to be a reason why people would want to come here. Um, I have my guest of honor all set, so I'll be announcing that in January. And my artist guest of honor, who's also a gamer and is, you know, so, you know, they're, they're going to play games with people. I mean, it's going to be really nice. And there's some other secret stuff I can't talk about because of NDAs. I'm so excited, though. Oh, I am, too. <laughs> So, Donna, we're pretty close to an hour. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about while you were here? Um, not really. I mean, you know, I, I just love doing this stuff. I, I'm so passionate about games and bringing people together and 
you know, I, I, I love going to conferences myself and talking to people. And I love meeting people who have always wanted to get into nerd hobbies, you know, and always, you know, like there was always some gatekeeper mm-hmm. or somebody telling them they couldn't do it. Or, you know, as a woman going into a comic store, you know, my experiences 20 years ago are different than, the, you know, experience. well, people still do have these experiences, but, you know, knowing that, you know, slowly by us being out there and being vocal, it's, you know, changing, yep. it's changing things. So, you know, when I go to a comic book store now locally, I can go in and they can ask me what I'm looking for. I bought my very first comics. <laughs> I've never bought comics before. So, um, you know, I, I'm just really, really excited. And I want other people to feel welcome and comfortable in, you know, in their gaming spaces. And if I'm at a convention, I'm happy. Uh, I offer safe spaces at any of my tables. You don't even have to play my games. If I'm doing a demo, you just find me. You can sit there and have it. It's a, I'm a safe person. That's great. I'll talk your ear off, but <laughs> you don't mind that. Well, and and actually for me personally, I think I'm going to invite you to do that because one of my goals for next year is to get more involved in kind of the geek communities locally. Um, but I'm an extreme introvert and that's um, people listen to the show and they're always surprised when they hear me say I'm an introvert, but I am extremely, extremely introverted. And so it's really difficult for me um, to to kind of like go out and network. So I'm probably going to be emailing you asking you for tips on, on how to do this well, because um, I think it's really important. Um, I, I like being involved online. I like that I'm um, I'm talking to more people, but I really need to work at home too. So yeah, it's, it's really funny. Is I am actually very much of an introvert. Are you? Uh, yes. And sometimes I don't leave the house. I mean, you know, I mean, it's easy right now since I'm in between gigs. Um, so I'm leaving the house by going to my game nights and job interviews. Yeah. Uh, so because I have such a love for it and it's such a big passion for it, it makes it much easier to go out and um, uh, and meet people and talk to people. And uh, I'm I am a huge I'm a very much of a shy person. And so the the nice thing about uh, you know talking to people and meeting other people who are introverted and shy and unsure of themselves in, in the hobbies um, is being able to you know, say, yeah, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Let's talk about what do you, what, you know, what do you like? What do you like? What, what, what are you interested in? And um, uh, that's, that's pretty much it. I, I like to make spaces where people, where I would feel comfortable. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, Really, if I feel comfortable there, if I feel like I can invite any of my friends there and have fun, then that's that's really all I want. I think that's great. I'm so excited for you. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. So, Donna, how can people find you? Um, I am on, the easiest way to find all my stuff is about me. So it's about.me slash Denicia, D-A-N-I-C-I-A. So that's the easiest way for people to, like, find my blog, which I haven't updated in forever, I know. <laughs> but it's got my social spaces and, and whatnot. And then, you know, there's the OrcaCon. Uh, we're just at Twitter slash OrcaCon and Facebook slash OrcaCon. So, you know, if anybody's interested. And then my meetup group is Inclusive Geekery. So if you're locally in Seattle, you should join my group and, and be an event host. <laughs> I have at least at least one listener in Seattle and probably there more. So. 
Well, you know, I, I actually talked to somebody who was interested in, in uh, doing an inclusive geekery in, in their city, and I don't remember where it was. I was at the PAX Diversity Lounge, and somebody was interested in taking that concept. So if you're interested, go ahead and sign up for the meetup group, see what we do, see how we all talk to each other, and I'm happy to um, talk to anybody about it, you know help out mm, no i don't want to. i was gonna say maybe i'll look into doing that here but i'm not ready to take that step yet <laughs> yeah well we, we don't play in game stores a lot we play we do a lot of stuff in like pubs because it's much easier to or coffee shops to you know come in and have a drink versus you know trying to sign up and getting stuck in a game that you don't want to play yeah you know this way we're, we're very much more social and and relaxed and um and I couldn't do it if it wasn't for the great people in my group who make my job easy. That's that's pretty much everything I do. I wouldn't be able to do any <laughs> of this if I didn't have people who are just as passionate and uh, and do this and make me look good. Isn't it great? Yeah. Yeah. I'd be lost with them out without without them. Yeah, I totally understand. Thank you so much, Donna. All right. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. You can find the show on Twitter at less than or equal. If you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to less than or equal.com and fill out the contact form. If you have a few minutes, it would be great if you'd leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Until next time on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for less than or equal.